Welcome to the Talent Development Think Tank Podcast. The number one podcast for learning and talent development professionals. Now here's your host, Andy Storch. All right, welcome to the Talent Development Think Tank Podcast. I am your host, Andy Storch, and I'm excited that you're joining me today for a live interview that I have for you on the Burning Glass Coursera Skills Compass Report. We are digging into the skills that are necessary in today's economy and workplace and what we're seeing for the future of work. And I've got a couple of great experts on the show with me today. Matt Sigelman is the president of the Burning Glass Institute, chairman of Lightcast and visiting fellow at the Harvard Kennedy School. Matt has dedicated his career to unlocking new avenues for mobility, opportunity, and equality through skills. He and his team have invented the field of real-time labor market data and breakthrough innovation that has transformed the way employers, education, institutions, policymakers, and workers understand, plan for, and connect with the world of work. By mining billions of job openings and career histories, Matt and his team have led Burning Glass to become the global authority on the market for talent. Matt, welcome to the show. Really looking forward to the conversation. Thanks for yeah, me. I'm excited to have you here, and I'm excited to dig into this report. And I also want to welcome our other guest, Trina Manudri, who is the VP of People Development and Chief Learning Officer at Coursera, a company that is leading companies, leaders, and people to rapidly and effectively prepare for the economic imperative of lifelong learning. Trina is a talent expert and deep experience uh, with deep experience driving business results in learning, leadership, talent analytics, culture change, and organizational effectiveness. Trina, welcome to the show. Thank you, Andy. It's great to be here. Yeah, great to have both of you here. And I'm excited to be doing this live. It's one of the first times or first time I've done a live interview in quite some time. We used to do more of these, uh, which means if you are joining us live, you're welcome to jump into the chat. I'd love for you to jump into the chat and let us know where you're joining from and submit any questions that you might have. Uh, but Matt, I want to start with you. You started this Burning Glass Institute a year and a half ago and uh, sort of did the, you and your team did the research to create this report. Can you tell us some of the background about how this came about? Well, let me start here. I mean, I, I spent 20 years building the company. It's now called Lightcast. I know many people who are maybe listening to us use Lightcast data in various ways. And I think one of the, the great underlying values of the whole field of real-time labor market data is not actually so much the timeliness, though there's that, but even more so there's the actionability. And I think the actionability comes from granularity. It comes from the ability to actually break down the world of work not just into roles, but into skills. What are the skills that make work more valuable? What are the skills that make a job hard to fill? What are the skills that lie between talent and opportunity, right? And so the list goes on. And you could just see tremendous power in that. So about a year and a half ago, I, I left Lightcast after 20 years, still very proud to, uh, very proud of its work and proud to, to the company as its chairman, but wanted to focus more directly on really understanding the kind of transformations that are happening in the landscape of skills. So I launched the Burning Glass Institute um, as an independent research center to focus on those kinds of transformations. So have had a, a wonderful partnership over the years with uh, Trina and the Coursera, uh, the Coursera team. And, you know, we put our heads together and we had this idea of, hey, how, do we, how do we understand and make usable for people 
what skills matter and how to think about different kind of skill investments that individuals might make, that learning leaders might make in their workforce. There's so many skills out there. There's there's literally there's all sorts of vendors out there who are who are talking about the strength of their skill taxonomies. Like, hey, we've got thirty thousand, we've got a hundred thousand. You know, I always have to remind people there's only 114,000 words in the Oxford English Dictionary. But how do you sort through them all and figure out which ones are going to be the right ones for, for you in the force? And that's what this framework is really about. Yeah, absolutely. I'm excited to dig into this topic of skills. And Trina, tell me about how you got into this space. I know you have a background in talent development before you even got to Coursera and what is your interest in in all of this? Sure. Thanks, Andy. I mean, I think this is the type of report that's been missing for L&D leaders for a long time. So obviously this, this industry is an art and a science. And for a long time, we emphasized the art of learning and development, how to engage people, how to make a room exciting, how to design fantastic learning. And then when data, data analytics, data-driven decisions really came into play and skills exploded, I think it was a bit overwhelming for a lot of L&D leaders. You know, as Matt suggested, there are companies out there, thousands and thousands of skills. And if you talk with people and you're listening in the market, it sounds like everyone has skills figured out and they're all nicely organized and we know exactly what skills an employee has, exactly the skills they need, what skills map to different roles. And the reality is it's just not that clean. Hmm. It's really complex. It's sophisticated. And all companies and organizations are still trying to figure out how to master this. So the thing that I love about this work is that it's it's an asset, a tool for L&D leaders to make data-driven decisions that drive an ROI, drive business impact. And it takes this, this world of skills. And instead of saying, you know, traditionally, well, we have technical skills and we have what none of us like to call soft skills, right? Or we have old skills and we have hot skills. This is actually a data-driven framework that allows you to break skills into categories so that you can make investments decide where to put your budget and also what learning approaches are most effective for different skill categories. You mentioned uh, skills, ex- I think you said explosion. And I'm thinking, first of all, skills have been important since the beginning of humanity, right? Certainly for the last almost 10,000 years, right? Like you get into agriculture and and what certain things are you good at? Is it digging holes in the ground or leading people? And uh, certainly that's expanded and grown since then. We have, um, you know, tons and tons of different types of jobs and skills. Why is there so much more of a bigger focus on this idea of skills now than, than ever before? Well, I think some of it has to do with the kind of data that are available today. You know, in the past, if we wanted to understand a job, we understood it by its job title. And, and, and that was about as granular as we could get. Sometimes you'd hear about people going and doing um, these really exhaustive competency profile exercises. And, you know, you could do that, but at the end of the day, you didn't get anything necessarily terribly granular. And so I think one of the things that's happened in the age of big data is that we can now actually break down jobs and understand the sets of skills that are involved. And so I think that's certainly that that capability that's come through data is unlocking the ability to analyze more clearly what skills really matter for what roles. I think the other thing which is which is driving it is this is that companies are spending billions of dollars on all sorts of shiny new objects, um, talent development platforms and the like. 
and the underlying theory of them, the ability you know, to tell somebody what specifically they should learn or to be able to connect people in different talent pools is that you can make those kinds of those kinds of prescriptions based upon the underlying skills. And so suddenly everyone's got to go and build an ontology or 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 you know figure out some way of structuring skills. And as Trina said, um, it looks on the tin like it should work really well. In practice, very often um, there's a gap. Off mute. Yeah, absolutely. So how did you go about conducting this report? So um, this report really first came down to Coursera and Burning Glass teams coming together and developing a framework. What we really wanted to do was not, this is a little bit different of a report from you know, your typical, hey, here's the, here's the top five skills that everyone should know for 2023 kind of report. We've all seen those, those things. I think they call them listicles. And you know, we said, look, everyone sees plenty of those things. We all know that there's a bunch of tech skills that are that are super hot and hard to hire for. But actually what learning leaders to Trina's point really need is a framework. How do you make a better optimized decision? Here's why I say optimized, because as with everything in life, there's no perfect decision. There's sets of trade-offs that we need to make, but you can't make trade-offs if you can't have really accessible dimensions and good ways of measuring things against them. So we picked three core dimensions for how you understand skills. First of all, how valuable is a skill? How much of a, of a bump in productivity does somebody get from it? How much of a bump in salary does somebody get who's, uh, you know, who's a learner? Number one, uh, that's number one. Number two, how enduring is that skill? Skills have half-lives. Is this a skill that is a flash in the pan? Is this a skill that's going to, to prove to have enduring value over, over an arc of, of time? And then number three, how quick is it to learn? And you know, when you think about that list of, of skills, right, really valuable in you know, going to be uh, really durable and quick to learn, the set of skills that you get to is precisely zero. There are no skills, no free lunch in the world, right? Like, it, unfortunately, that, that continues to bear out. There are no skills that are all of those three things. And so this was designed and pr precisely because we, we knew that that's the kind of decision landscape that learning leaders find themselves against. What we wanted to do was to create these dimensions that could help learning learner leaders figure out and distinguish between, hey, here's skills I should invest in. You know, they're, they're worth the slog. You know, it's going to take someone a really long time to learn them. They're going to be expensive, but they really pay off. Here are sets of things that give a quick hit. Here's things you just stay away from. And so we wanted to, to have to build out the models that would allow us to measure things against those dimensions. That's really cool. And you, you analyzed how many, you, so the approach was to analyze job listings, right? And see what skills people were looking for or companies were looking for. I mean, how many listings were you going through? So we look across the data, the core data set we use has 50 million job openings a year, just in the U.S. alone and, and hundreds of millions globally. And it dimensionalizes them according to a language of about 30, 40,000 different skills. And then from once we do that, we say, okay, not only what are the ones that are most in demand, but again, what are the ones that are growing the fastest? What are the ones that are spreading the, wide, the, 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 the furthest across sectors and, and different kinds of jobs? What are the sets of skills that command the biggest premiums um, that take the longest to fill? And so the range of dimensions that we looked at in order to be able to say, here's the sets of skills that are going to give the greatest value to your workforce. Got it. So yeah, you're really looking at 
all of the different types of jobs, the different types of skills that are out there and what is going to be most valuable in the future as companies are trying to figure out, okay, how do we upskill, reskill our workers and prepare them for the future of work? Trina, you mentioned earlier that this was a report that you felt was really missing in the marketplace and the type of work you did before. What was the challenge that was out there and, and what does this solve? I know it's an for L&D leaders, often business leaders will come to you and say, you know, we really need a program to build skills in um, Agile, for example. And there's a lot of pressure to, to build that program. So, and maybe limited budget. So as an LD leader, you have to think about what's the budget I have across all of the demands that are coming towards me? What's the best method to build those skills? Or should we be building this from in the first place? Is this something that we should be buying? The, the skill itself. So bringing people into the organization who have that talent. So, and I think in the, you know, again, there were hot skills and not hot skills or soft skills and technical skills, but that didn't really provide any kind of a framework for an L&D leader to make key decisions about using budgets to drive ROI. This is actually the first report I've seen that you could pick up as an L&D leader. You could take those requests coming into you from the business, look at all the skill needs and the skill gaps in your organization, and actually categorize things into these different buckets. And then make some really sound data-driven decisions about where to invest, not only where to invest, but what type of learning method works best for, for each area. For example, um, one of the adaptive skills, that's one of our categories, is artificial intelligence. And we know that this is a space that is costly to hire and costly to train because it's complex. We also know that adaptive skills change constantly. The best way to, to learn for an adaptive skill, particularly AI, is through an academy. But if you build that academy and you tighten it up so much, it's this beautiful learning product, but it can't be modified in an ongoing basis, then you're not going to drive any ROI because you have to have flexibility to continually change that academy. So that's just one example where an L&D leader can make some really strong strategic decisions following the framework. Excellent. Okay. So let's get into some insights because you started to get into that already. What are some key insights or some interesting things that came out of this report? So a bunch of things which stood out to me, I, I think, you know, for me, one of the things that was most important is, is this notion that there are a range of different skills that you might invest in for different reasons. You know, there are sets of skills, which like, Scrum or like project management or the like, which, which actually um, take a quite a bit of of time to acquire, but which are are really durable. They're gonna they're gonna serve you well for a long arc of time, and they're gonna be really key to to broad transformations inside a workforce. The ability to to look at those kinds of skills and realize that they have a different motor from those adaptive skills Trina was talking about. Adaptive skills are also sort of, they're a puzzle. Adaptive sounds like a, a you know, we try to be positive and have positive names for them. Um, but actually adaptive skills is a great example of, of a little bit of a, of a conundrum because those are sets of skills which are, are really important, but they don't last long and they're expensive to acquire. So when you talk about skills like DevOps or Azure skills or, or the like, you're constantly having to update those skills to stay current. So, you know, it's it's an expensive part of, it's an expensive quadrant in that framework. It's an expensive place to be building a career. It's an expensive place to have a workforce. 
but it it calls attention to just how much dynamism there is and what it's going to take to keep up. That's by the way, I mean, I, I, I should have mentioned this before you were talking about, you know, kind of why now around skills and why so much tension today. I think there's in addition to the growing awareness of skills as important, there's a broader market context here. From some of our research, we found that the average job is just over the last five years, this has been work we did together with, with Boston Consulting Group uh, last year, we found that the average occupation has seen 37% of its top skills replaced just in the last five years. Wow. Just, like think about the level of dynamism there. It's like 37% of, of the L&D curriculum changed. Um, has 37% of the, uh, of the curricula of, of the schools that are sending students to us, have they changed? Of course not. And so what that says is that everybody is going to need to learn new skills in order to stay current in their careers. And every workforce is going to need to be invested with new skills in order to be the workforce that the company needs in the future. And so then, you know, things like this help us figure out which ones. Yeah. And I, I, I am seeing that as well. I, I see it more from a qualitative standpoint, right? And I'm, I'm, Trina, I'm curious what you've seen, you've been in doing this work for some time. And, you know, one of my favorite phrases that I often repeat in keynotes and trainings that I do on career development is that the pace of change is faster than it's ever been before. And yet it's probably slower today than it's ever going to be, right? Things keep getting faster. And the the old days of getting a college degree or even a master's degree and working in that field for 40 years without learning anything new, it's pretty much impossible now, right? Like we've got to keep learning. Matt just said 37% of the skills required for a given job have changed in the last five years, which is just mind-blowing. So do you see this continuing to change? And you know, where do you see this going? How do companies you know respond to something like this? Yeah, I think mind-blowing is the way to describe it, Andy. And as individuals, like what you just described feels intimidating, right? As employees, as citizens of the world, how do I keep up? How do I know what skills are important? Where do I get those skills? What's the best learning method for me to acquire those skills? How much do I invest individually in a skill, you know, in terms of the longevity of that skill? So that's at the individual level. When you look at corporations, organizations trying to skill up their populations, it's even more intimidating in terms of where do you put your budget and where do you know where this is headed, right? So how do you know the future? But the good news is when you look at the framework we're talking about, there is a category of enduring skills. And one of the skills on here that I that we, you know we looked at about 50 skills, but teamwork. So there are things that are constant, right? And teamwork is always going to be important. It may not be a skill that you invest a ton of budget in building because there's ways to build teamwork skills that are more effective, but it's enduring. It's an enduring skill that will be here. So not everything is flying at us at 100 miles an hour. The challenge for L&D leaders is understanding what's enduring, what's adaptive, what's commodity. And I think that's that's where we can thrive um, as leaders in this space to help people skill. You know, I, I think that point about enduring skills, Trina, is so important. You know, a, a friend of mine, Lori Lashin, who runs NASA's Jet Propulsion Lab, likes to talk about the difference between what she calls timely and timeless skills, which I think is just a great way of describing it. Everybody needs both. The interesting thing about careers we found through our research, though, is that the proportion changes a bit over time. You know, we often refer to those enduring skills um, in our, our technical vocabulary as foundational skills. 
And the problem with that language, and in general, I like it better than soft skills, which tends to be the kind of alternative you hear more often. But, you know, in my mind, like a foundation is the bottom of the pyramid, right? And and so I have this, maybe spent too many years being bored in class and science class and looking up at the, the USDA food pyramid on the wall. And, you know, like kind of the carbs are at the bottom, the important stuff, the protein is at the top. And so it gives this idea that, okay, yeah, you got to have those, those enduring skills, but fundamentally the things that are most valuable are those technical skills. Well, it turns out that careers work almost the exact opposite. The further north you go in your career, the more that the technical skills, or rather the more the enduring skills matter. And, and so, you know, you're, just think about it, right? Like as you advance in your career, you're more likely to be managing people. You're more likely to be working in teams and, and directing tasks rather than undertaking those tasks. And so I think that's a really important dimension of this as well. It's not just that, hey, there's some sets of skills that continue to be valuable, but there's some sets of skills that become actually more and more valuable over time. Trina, you talked about how organizations can be looking at this and, and taking advantage of this for individuals who are looking to develop their own skills and remain relevant and valuable in the future. I'm sure there's a lot of people looking at what's going on with AI and other things, wondering, you know, is my job even going to exist in a couple of years? How, do, how can individuals take advantage of this and, and look at these things and still remain relevant in the marketplace? That's a really good question. I do think, although the report may have been geared more towards the L&D leader, I think individuals would get a lot of value out of this report. And I think it's really thinking about your skills and your future, not in terms of an individual role or a job, because we know those will change over time, but the core skill sets that you bring to the table. So for example, if we use our framework, thinking about what skills do I have that are more enduring? What skills do I have that are a solid investment, right? Or adaptive, those that are really, those important skills. And then you're also going to have some skills that might fall into a category of commodity. And I think that's okay. It's the, it's the combination of all of the skills that makes a difference. But when we think about people taking on new roles, moving into new jobs, being reskilled, you know, of course, there become starters, switchers, advancers, all these people on different pipelines, right, to new career tracks. I think it, as an individual, understanding how the skills go across these different categories so that you're not playing in one space would be really helpful. Yeah. And I think we, we've we got to stay, you know, I talk in the work I do about the importance of investing in continuous learning and building your network, because there's a lot of jobs that existed 10 years ago that are, are no longer around. And that's just going to keep happening and new jobs being created all the time, new businesses, and of course, new skills that, that are going to be necessary. And organizations are trying to figure out how do they leverage and find the best people as well. Matt, when you started this work and started doing the, the deep analysis and putting this report together. I'm sure that your team had a set of assumptions of things that you might see and probably many that were confirmed. I'm curious, you know, what was something that you expected that was that was confirmed? And was there anything that was really surprising that came out of this data? Well, you know, first of all, one of the things that that we learned was just how how hard measuring things that seem so simple can be, right? You think about those core dimensions of this report, um, how valuable is a skill, how long does it last, how easy is it to acquire? You can understand those so easily, it seems like you should be able to measure them and, and developing those models around it was, was very hard. So I'll put my own kind of like inside shop kind of complaint aside. I think, 
we knew that there weren't going to be tons of skills that that are at the that three-way intersection, but we assumed there'd be some. And again, I think this notion that actually there are um, there are no silver bullets, that there's no easy solutions, and you know that that people have to make choices is something which I think in some ways makes this framework all the more valuable. Um, yeah. To that point, I actually sort of want to go back to to this question of 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 AI and what makes what makes what makes people valuable. Yeah. Right. Because you know one of the things, and this is one of the other reasons why I think this kind of work and why I think a focus on skills is so important right now. There's a lot of focus on the one side around the work that's going to be automated away. Automation is just one form of of essentially of trying to drive to productivity. And there's been a lot of economists out there who will tell you, well, gee, you know, we have, we've seen productivity generally be flat over the last decade. You know, a lot of companies right now, as they're starting to think about uh, layoffs or slowing down the hiring spigots, are, are really trying to think about how they capture productivity. And, and so a lot of them, it's easy for your imagination to go straight for the AI thing. I'm going to get a little technical here. I, I told you before, before we started, I, I warned you, I, I, I nerd out all the time. So, um, you know, Bring trying it. to glass over anyone's over, but productivity is actually a ratio, right? It's the ratio of the value of, of labor output to the cost of the input, mm-hmm. right? So usually we talk about productivity, we go straight to the bottom there. We go straight to the, the denominator. We say, okay, how do I make labor cost less? How do I go to cheaper geographies? How do I use AI to, automate things away? How do I improve my processes? But we actually don't tend to focus on the numerator. The numerator is how do I make work more valuable? And ultimately, when people have higher skills, they're making work more valuable. So as we get more and more pressure toward productivity, there's going to be, I think, a whole new focus that's going to arise on how do I invest in my workforce in ways that make human endeavor more valuable? And that's going to be through, through skills but you got to know which ones. Like the technology that we're seeing and AI is a, is a great example because it's it's been such a hot topic in 2023. There may be organizations who are looking at it as how do we make our operation more efficient and, and save money? You mentioned the denominator, but I would imagine even more so it's how do we make, you know, create more output? How do we allow us to create more things to create, you know, to, to produce more than we were doing before? Or help our people do their jobs better by automating some of the, you know, monotonous stuff and helping them focus more on those in using those enduring skills that only people can use, at least for now. Spot on. And when people become more valuable, that's, that's how they become robot proof. That's how they outrun AI. Yeah. In my mind, I'm biased, but I always go to those enduring people skills, right? Josh Burson refers to them as power skills, you know, those, those leadership and influence and communication skills that are always, I think, going to be valuable in people interactions, whereas more and more the technology might take care of itself. Is that a concern for people who are more technically minded or will there always be opportunities for them as well? Yeah, you know, just to jump in here, Andy, I think the most important skill any of us can learn is, is how to learn. Is, is truly how to learn. And it's interesting how little we focus on that in our society from kindergarten all the way up. We teach what to learn and there's different methods. So the teachers know how to put out information, but we don't spend as much time teaching the learner how to learn. There's actually a fantastic course by Barbara Oakley on which I will totally plug because it's it's everything and more. 
But when you take neuroscience and you take experience and all these things, you put it together, there is a science behind how we learn. So regardless of the skills, whether they're enduring skills, teamwork, research, AI, Java, if you understand how to learn rapidly and how to take that knowledge, put it with information and knowledge that you've had before to create more valuable output, I think that's how you really future-proof yourself in your role. It's that continual learning in an efficient way. Matt, you did a lot of research here, and there's a, there's some great output and, and insights that you shared from this report. Uh, what are some challenges that you still see that maybe you or your team are still trying to figure out or that the marketplace still needs to try to figure out? Well, I think a, a lot of what we need to do is is to get, I think the market needs to get even deeper around understanding not only these motors, but but other dimensions of of how skills work. You know, what skills are are emerging? What skills are on the frontiers? How do we benchmark the future readiness of a workforce? You know, if you you look at the kinds of skills that are are most valuable that are on those frontiers, one of the things you can start to do is understand. You know, kind of you can start to measure the concentration of them in various workforces, and you can start to benchmark that. Those kinds of models are going to be really important. I think the other big area of innovation, and Trina was touching on this a minute ago, is going to be about how we use skills as the bridge between where opportunity lies and where talent lies. I've always found that you know th throughout my career in this space that one of the biggest tragedies out there in the job market today is also one of its biggest opportunities. It's kind of what your, your side view mirror says, like objects and mirror are closer than they appear, right? Like talent and opportunity are often very close, just often just like literally a couple skills apart. And the ability to be able to identify, right? Like these are the jobs we're struggling to fill. These are the jobs that are going to be key to a company's future, to a region's future, to a nation's future, to a sector's future. Where's the talent that we can pull up into those roles? And how do we use a much more specific, much more skill-driven lens to understanding what that bridge needs to look like? And I think when we can do that, we can, we can really unlock a lot of opportunity and broaden equity in the market as well. Absolutely. Trina, you have a background in L&D, work with a lot of people in L&D. What can L&D leaders take away from this for their development and the work that they're doing in their organizations? Well, I think as, as intimidating as it may sound with all the skill changes and all the pressure on L&D and, and budget constraints that are coming up right recently because of the changing economic times, I think there's never been a better time to be an L&D leader. I mean, truly, it used to be an art. It, it truly is an art and a science now. And we have all this data at our fingertips. We have a ton of skills information out there. And I like to think of it as you know, L&D moving from the back room to the boardroom right? A seat at the table. Absolutely. Being able to show ROI, business impact, understanding the business from a skill perspective is really a value that the L&D leader can bring into the conversation that no one else in the, in the organization really can do. So I think this is the time for L&D to really step up and to lean into this, the science piece of this and the data that's available to us and make really strategic decisions about where to spend and how to spend to upskill the population. I just want to second the motion, by the way. Um, you know, I, I think we've got two golden imperatives today. Not only do we have all these new approaches and new tools that empower L&D leaders, 
But we've got two business imperatives, which are bringing L&D more to the forefront and more, as, as Trina said, from the, from the back room to the boardroom. One of those imperatives is, is talent shortage. Even with the layoffs that are touching the tech sector right now, for the most part, the, the job market is, is still pretty scorching hot. It's still really hard to find talent. And I think for specific kinds of talent, it will continue to be. And that's created a significant imperative that's made the kind of questions around, hey, where's the talent? And how do we take a more planned approach as opposed to just, you know, kind of the the flypaper recruiting model of, okay, we need people, let's go hang up a rack. Well, you can hang up a rack and, and you're not going to get anything. So inevitably what that means is that you actually have to take more of a supply chain approach than you've ever taken before. You need to actually think about L&D as R&D. And I think in very much the same way, the second imperative of this day is the growing recognition that there's been since the death of George, George Floyd of building greater equity in the workforce. And likewise, um, you know, I think you wind up getting stuck in, in some really tough spots if you're approaching the question of, of workforce inclusion from a zero-sum game kind of approach. If you think that, hey, there's only a finite amount of talent in a given mm-hmm. role and I just got to fight over it, then you're going to really struggle. If instead you say, hey, is there a way to build, to grow the pie? Hey, we have more diversity in the bottom than the top. Can we actually build talent up from within? We build diverse talent up from within. Well, that puts L&D right at the, the forefront as well of solving a critical business challenge. Yeah, absolutely. I'm a big fan of abundance, right? And and with an abundance mindset, we can go forward with the belief that there is an unlimited amount of money and success in the world and that, you know, one job, person getting a job doesn't take something away from someone else because we're able to grow the economy, grow the pie, like you said, and create use this to create more jobs. And, you know, rising tide raises all boats and insert your your phrase here, right? But uh, we can actually help everybody and not worry about things taking away. With that in mind, I mean, Trina, you were talking about what L&D leaders can take away from this and sort of that imperative and the time is now to take advantage. I wonder, are there any best practices you've seen or could you share an example of what an organization has done with data like this to improve their talent development or skills development, upskilling, reskilling, that sort of thing? I think in terms of this report, it's fairly new. So we're still getting it into the hands of all the organizations, companies that we work with and really trying to broadcast it so L&D leaders can use it because I, I do think this framework, you know, really makes a difference. But along those lines, Andy, someone said something to me last week. They said, you know, in our company, we're just going to keep the lights on with learning for a couple of years. We're just keeping the lights on. And my heart sank because we've all been through that in the L&D space. We have these, these cycles when all of a sudden we freeze and we stop all of our learning. But when you think about you know 40% of the skills that are critical today for organizations will be different in 2025, that's two years. Mm. So if you're in a freeze mode or you're keeping the lights on and skills are rapidly changing at this pace, where's your company going to be in 2025, right? And then you have to sort sort of reinvigorate your entire L&D function. And not only are you you sort of behind, you're way behind. You're starting over. And so we have to get to a place in L&D and overall in organizations where we, we stop this cycle 
and we smooth it out so that we're always driving value um, so that we don't keep stepping backwards. I think in terms of this particular report, it does help with where you should buy talent versus build talent, which air, which skill areas you should um, reskill in, or sometimes it's too costly to reskill where you need to bring in that talent. So I do think there's some great value in that space. Um, but I think my big concern is this, this idea that we'll freeze for a couple of years and then we'll just pick up where we were, where we were before. And I think that's, that's a big danger that we see right now. Matt, on that note, any other insights that you want to make sure we share or any best practices that you've seen come out of this from what organizations are doing? You know, I, I go back to, uh, first of all, uh, just in terms of Trina's comment just now, in terms of the, the dynamism in the market, I'd also point out that at a time when we're likely to be able to do a lot less hiring, you know, put that, put those two things together, that as Trina said, like, Rick, we're seeing this tremendous skills dynamism. We're going to, we're going to see the spigots um, shut down in terms of hiring. Guess what? That means that if we've got talent needs, we've got to be able to fill them from within. So I know what we've seen historically, um, as, as Trina pointed out, but but I think this may be a time when we're actually going to see, hopefully, continued investment in L&D precisely because hiring is going to be less feasible because AI is going to, and, and I think, you know, as more than anything else, I'd say generative AI is capturing people's attention about key questions of, of where's continued workforce value. And I think that's going to mean that companies are, are I hope, be, be more uh, resolute in continuing to invest in their workforces and making sure that the workforce they have can be the workforce they need. Yeah, absolutely. Trent, anything else you'd add? And I'm curious, you know, how does Coursera use this type of data to work and, and help clients that you work with? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we want to bring this report to all of our clients. Within Coursera, we're focused on all types of different learners, but our business learners and organizations is a piece a piece of our strategy. And we not only want to bring the report forward, but we want to work with our clients to understand the framework and how to use it so that good investments can be made that matter. You know, I just, Matt's point about you know, internal career mobility reskilling. Um, I think just this week, the CEO of LinkedIn, um, Ryan Roslonsky, came out and said, your next best employee is most likely your current employee. And I think, you know, that's a really strong message about investing in your workforce for the future, not, not for today, but for the future as well. So we really want to work with our business clients to understand how to build the right skills in the right way at the right time to drive that business value and show results at, at the C-suite level for our companies. I love that quote. You know, I, one of the things that we've seen, we this past fall, we released something called the American Opportunity Index together with the Schultz Family Foundation. And um, it was essentially our attempt to measure the Fortune 250 based upon the upward mobility that their workers experience. So we, we looked track 3 million US workers over the course of five years and saw what happened to them. Here's why I bring that up, because when we looked at the companies that rose to the top, you know, a lot of the companies across the list were doing a lot of technically, at least doing a lot of the same sets of things. They were checking the right, all the same boxes. But when you spoke to the companies at the top of the list, whose workers were rising the most and who were becoming the most valuable over time, the thing that they seemed to have in common was actually more than anything else, not just the fact that they were investing in skills, and making those opportunities really available, but that they really 
there was a difference in mindset. Those workers, those companies rather, were looking at their workers, not just for who they are and what they do today, but for what they could be doing tomorrow. And that's a really different way of looking at your workforce. It's hard. It's hard to look at somebody who's working today as an accounting clerk and say, that could be my cybersecurity analyst tomorrow. And I think when we can have that kind of view, we can invest in in people in ways that are not only profound in unlocking new sources of talent for the company, but profound in, in changing people's lives. Absolutely. Well said. Well, we have been talking for quite a while about this report. So for anybody interested in going and getting, if they haven't found it already, where do they go to download the report? Coursera. Go ahead to the Coursera main report, main area, and you'll find it. I think we actually may have a link in the invitations that we have for this broadcast as well. And Andy will provide that. I think you may have that. We'll provide that in addition so people can go find it. You can also always find it on the Coursera website, along with all kinds of other assets for individual learners and for the people who are helping them learn. Awesome. We'll put a link to that in the show notes for our podcast as well for those listening later on. Well, Trina, Matt, thank you so much for being here, for breaking down this report, for all the great work that you're doing in this space to help L&D leaders uh, and individuals all over the place figure out where things are going with skills for the future of work and the new economy that we're always moving into. So Matt, Trina, thanks again for being here. So enjoyed this. Thanks so much. Thanks for having us, Andy. All right. Take care. All right, that will do it for my conversation with Matt Sigelman and Trina Minujri about the Burning Glass report on skills for the future economy. And such an interesting conversation and sounds like a great partnership between the Burning Glass Institute and Coursera and the work they've been doing to help organizations with understanding what skills are going to be valuable in the future. I'd be curious what you took away from that conversation. I will be honest, I was really focused on making sure that we kept things going and ran everything smoothly since we were doing it live, as well as creating it as a broadcast for you to listen to later on. And so I'm going to need to go back and listen to that and really take better notes on some of my takeaways from that, because I think it really informs uh, some of the work that I'm doing in talent development and career development as well, and how organizations can be approaching upskilling and reskilling workers and creating new development programs to help develop their people in an inclusive and equitable way, as Matt kind of mentioned at the end there, to set themselves up for future success, both for individuals and organizations. Because as I said, I think one of the most striking takeaways from that conversation is that the skills needed to do you know any particular job on average are changing 37% every two years. I mean, that means jobs are completely changing every four to five years. And we know from just looking at what's been going on in the economy that many jobs are going to be disappearing and new jobs are going to be created. As I mentioned in the the broadcast, that the, the pace of change is faster today than it has ever been before, and yet it's slower today than it is ever going to be. And therefore, we need to be investing in continuous learning. We need to be investing in our own personal development and learning and growth, and we need to be investing in our people's learning, development, and growth, upskilling, reskilling, whatever you want to call it, in our organizations, because we just can't afford to have people be stagnant because things are just going to keep moving faster. And quite frankly, when you look at 
the surveys and what people really want. Look at maybe the report from McKinsey. I did an episode on that that came out last year about why people leave jobs and what they really want from their jobs. It's development and growth. It's the number one thing people want. They want to know how they can develop and grow in their careers with your organization. And now you see the other side of it, that we absolutely need to keep developing our people. And you can go grab this report and find out what are the most important skills, what are the trends, and start having conversations in your organization and developing to that to make sure that you're heading in the right direction. Another great way to know what are the best practices, what are the skills that are necessary, what are the best organizations doing out there is to come join us in the Talent Development Think Tank community. Obviously, you can find out a lot from listening to this podcast, and I appreciate you listening, and I know it it is helpful. But if you want to go deeper, come join us in the Talent Development Think Tank community. We are all about connecting people with the information, the training, the knowledge they need, as well as the people that can help them improve their capabilities and the work they're doing in talent development, the work that you're doing in talent development. I really want to help you up your game and become more successful in talent development. And that is what our community is all about. It's like an ongoing conference in the virtual world. We have a Zoom call every Wednesday. You don't have to join all of them. If you come for one a month, you'll get a ton of value. But we invite different guest speakers. We have open forum calls on different topics. We do networking. And I have already asked Matt and Trina if they would come speak in our community about the Burning Glass Institute report, Compass report, and answer people's questions about, you know, what are the most valuable skills for the future economy? And they've said yes. So we're going to get them on the schedule for later in 2023. You don't want to miss that if you found this conversation interesting. Come join us so that you can pop into a call whenever you're available and you can ask questions and you can connect with other people doing the work that you're doing. How valuable would it be to have really great people in your network, most of whom have been on this podcast. Most of my podcast guests are either members or speakers in the community. It's a really great place to be. Highly valuable, well worth the money, as most of our members tell us. You can find all the information on our website, talentdevelopmentthinktank.com. That's talentdevelopmentthinktank.com. You can reach out if you have any questions. And if you're looking for someone to speak on career development and helping people own their careers in your organization, reach out to me and let's see if it might be a fit. How valuable would it be to teach people how to own their careers so that they are taking advantage of information like this and investing in their own learning and development, putting their own individual development plan together and having more conversations with their manager about the skills that they need to develop for the future. You can find more information about the work I do on my personal website, which is andystorch.com. All right. Thank you again for listening. I appreciate you and I will talk to you again soon. 